Welcome to another edition of Hit Lights Plus. Um, I'm going to be flipping the table on Pete this week. Um, usually he likes to give me a bit of an interrogation, but uh, today I'm going to interrogate him about the world of domestic electrics. Isn't that right, Pete? It certainly is. And um, I mean, it's a bit of an unfair statement saying I interrogate you. I've just got an inquisitive <laughs> mind. <laughs> well, I also have an inquisitive mind and I'd love to pick your brains on the world of domestic electrics because... I'll be perfectly honest, in, what, 15 years, I've probably done about nine months of it. And of that, I hated it and I'll never go back. But there are a heck of a lot of people who do do um, domestic electrical work, um, such as yourself, and uh, do a great job of it. So, you know, you've got initially you've got my hats off to you. Well, good. You know, it's not what it's cracked up to be. It's, um, you know, a lot of hours in, very skilled. You boys with the old clipboard doing all the industrial work. Don't know how easy you've got it sometimes. Sorry, so let's 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 get cracking. So scope of works domestically, what, what sort of things are, are you likely to undertake as a domestic electrician? It's actually quite a broad scope. Um, different domestic electricians may take on different work, but obviously um, traditional power and lighting. You could branch out and do boiler control wiring, solar, EV, heat pump, um, heating, unfor heating controls. You can do kitchens, bathrooms, extraction. It's quite a quite a varied scope of works. Yeah, I mean let's let's start with the the foundation of every electrical installation in a home. Then let's go with sockets and lights. What what are some of the uh, the challenges daily that you're facing domestically installing them? So obviously the lighting, you're uh, largely governed by um, the structure of the house. That's probably something that most domestic electricians will struggle with over a commercial or industrial person. It's uh, all about the aesthetic. So there's not a lot of conduit or trunking. It's normally hidden through the, the joist spaces, and the ceiling cavity or the, the loft. Um, yeah, lighting, a lot of it's now moved over to the LED. I think the building regs requires all new builds to have at least 75% of a energy efficient lighting system. Uh, yeah, lots of different types though. We get LEDs, obviously you've got the old halogens, we get undercover lighting, LED tape, spotlights, garden lighting. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, that alone is a, a specialism, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. there's lots of different... Methods, how are you going to connect them all up? Are you Are going to solder them through crimp? Way goes, maintenance free. How are you going to wire them? Are you going to take a two plate to a switch or three plate via the light fitting? There's a, uh, a big... So go, go on then, what's, what's your preference then? I prefer wiring at the switch, so a two plate lighting method, because I think it's better to have more connections at a more maintainable height and then just running the load around the lighting because for one, you don't know at which lights you may have the connections at. So if you've got 12 lights in the ceiling, you don't want to be popping them all down, trying to locate where the, the main wiring is. And um, it's just easy if ever you want to change them around or you want to do anything else, smart switching, it's just all there at the switch. Try oh, to install a... Uh, yeah, what, what, what about um, the depth of back boxes and things like that? Does that not present you with some issues? It's just what I was going to mention. So... Uh, yeah, 35 mil as standard everywhere, and for larger light switches and even dimmer switches, 47 mil. If you were to use um, 
switches such as Control 4 or a Lutron system have been the 47 all day long because you're never going to fit it in anything else. Right. Okay. Yeah, you can face the problems with certain walls like the old three inch clinker block. They don't necessarily house a 47 blocks too well. So all of a sudden you become the plasterer having to get some bonding out and fix it in either with foam, plaster bonding or just anything sticky to hand really. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that probably start alludes into the, you know, let's say the dirty work elements of things and the chasing and stuff like that. How do you deal with all of that? Delegation is key. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, to be honest, it's one of those you need a good vac, um, M class at least, an L class one you might suffice with. But uh, this, I currently have a Makita chasing machine which is like a double bladed angle grinder with a shroud and hoover attachment. So obviously, as we've done from your uh, asbestos podcast, we know that silica is something to be avoided, any brick dust, any fine powders. So uh, get a good FP3 mask and suitable dust management system, open the windows, create airflow, wet the floor if need be to keep that dust down. Um, yeah, good chasing bits, good blades. If you take it out with a Kango afterwards, like I do, just make sure that you're on top of all the dust. And yeah, I've got these, um, I went to the Rex show in November last year, and I bought these headphones, which have a Bluetooth speaker built into them. So while I'm, I, they're fantastic noise cancelling headphones anyway, but you can also have a bit of low level music on the background, which is always nice when you've got a day of chasing. I mean, there's something to mention. Obviously, domestically, health and safety is going to be, let's say, less rigorous and, and more on the person undertaking in terms of the responsibility of the activity they're completing. Uh, how domestically do you manage that? So um, I have a setup with a health and safety company online, which have their own individual courses. So myself and any of my staff undertake these courses, loan working, working with electrical safety, asbestos awareness. So I know from that that there's regular updates. So everyone is aware of the problems. Um, any electrical worker obviously is undertaking safe isolation, provided with the correct kit and follows obviously the safe isolation procedure as we all know and love. Then uh, any dust protection we have dust masks and stuff however i do prefer to use my own personal one with the refillable masks and again there's headphones and near defenders and all sorts provided by us goggles gloves masks hard hats all available back at the yard so as you said about people um having to monitor their own health and safety i will either drop off a box full of ppe to the larger sites or everyone knows to so you pop back to the yard occasionally and top up their van stock with stuff. So it's uh, yeah, you've got to be readily available and it's all to combine with the CDMs, etc. So just got to do your best to keep everyone safe because at the end of the day, they all need to earn money and we all need to earn money. So you've got to look after each other. Yeah, exactly. How do you cope with, I mean, we'll touch on the subject of apprentices then, you know, the younger people entering the industry who, who might be an apprentice under your um, stewardship. How, how do you deal and manage them in their relatively new, inexperienced um, site safety role? In their awareness of site safety? Yeah, well, the fact that they've got nothing 
they've got they have don't have a, an awareness of safety do they really no but to be honest i've found that the colleges are quite good with that sort of stuff at the moment they um i think they have like a full module just on health and safety so that's all pretty good they normally come to work with a backpack or something so day one there's your headphones there's your dust mark there's your gloves there's your boots there's your you know everything so they're all kitted out and um the last couple we had one of the guys he'd always put his mask on even if he's sweeping up always wore gloves barrier cream i've um i've actually found the apprentices probably are better with looking after themselves than the old guys because uh you know we're in that world now maybe sort of 20 years ago you'd get away with a lot more not that it was right and i for one i'm an advocate of the moving forward with the health and safety and trying to look after yourself but uh some of the older guys it's maybe not so much for them they see it more as a a barrier to for them getting on with their works as opposed to trying to help them out and save them yeah no yeah it's definitely a generational shift happening isn't there yeah but again you know the apprentices they do the courses they do the training at uh, college um I instruct them spend more time with them making sure that this is it we're going in the loft there's no floor you can only step here here and here if you step here you will fall through you will make a mess and it will probably hurt so it's just being really black and white with them mm. so you, can, you know explain it to the nth degree yeah now fair enough so uh, leaning into apprentices then um we've kind of touched on on how you'd support them with health and safety how do you support them through their education well again to be honest i find a lot of it now you're quite, quite well led by the um the colleges so I would have regular meetings with the colleges and you can discuss where you're at, what you need to work on, or do you need more steel contra at work? Do you need to improve your chasing? How's your timekeeping? You know, just like a, a review really, mm. as we do with the rest of the staff, but it's a good way to see where they're at, how you can improve. At the end of the day, the more they can improve and they can say, oh, I feel like I'm lacking in maybe terminations of a fuse board. So the next time you're doing one, you can say, look, well, you can have a go now and let's try and up, upskill yourself here. It's all mm. about getting them through those early stages and making them competent. Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the more difficult things. You know, I, I experienced it a bit in my apprenticeship, but I would have thought domestically, it's probably even more so of a bit of a challenge where you're trying to do an MVQ portfolio and, you know, you've got, let's say more limited scope obviously like you said it's broadening and uh, horizon but the the stereotypical twin and earth to sockets and lights and being quite repetitive how how would you assist them in capturing additional evidence to support say an mvq yeah I, to be honest it's um with most things you might not even touch an armored cable for a year and then all of a sudden you've got three months where all you're doing is armored and same with Twin and Earth or FP and all the rest of it. I um, What I try to do is design into my installations something that will help them out. So if it's metal trunking, instead of using plastic, maybe I'll just push the boat out a little bit more and give it as an opportunity to show them how that works. I've done the same with SY cabling. It was part of their um, process to be able to terminate SY. So I just bought a bit of SY from the wholesalers, to be honest, just bought a couple of meters and just showed them how to terminate it. Not that we would ever use it in our systems as it's used for control mainly, but uh, they've experienced it, they've seen it, different glands, different, you know, SWA, then 
what about if you're outside because you can get loads of different bits of kit out there now crimping soldering we do loads of led tape you can buy those crimp on connectors but uh, i tend to prefer to solder them now i think there's a pretty good video out there somewhere <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah it's just all the different types and now we've got these lever connectors this then the way goes i think it's the most used one i think ideal do them as well but um yeah there's all these different termination abilities insulation displacement such as a, a bt terminal or an rj45 module which is data there's plenty of bits out there now and it's just trying to have the the scope of works i mean we're quite lucky in that we do full house refurbs a lot of the time and some like commercial so i'd say we could quite easily cover 80 percent of it but it just depends on what projects you have on at the time yeah fair enough i mean finally on, on apprentices then what um advice would you give for um whether it was someone new to the industry or uh, looking to make a start and they were looking for some domestic work what what pieces of advice would you give I just listen and try your best i mean really the first period of time you are pretty useless you are standing around watching but that's your time to learn and to ask questions you have to take in all that knowledge to be able to then go and apply it because some days you might just be doing the consumer unit so you'd be watching your boss or your mentor carry out the work and you're just stood behind passing screwdrivers now you're not necessarily there just passing screwdrivers you have to ask him questions you know why have we put the cable in there why are you using this gland what's a torque driver you know what settings are we using what tests are you carrying out why are you doing it in that sequence it's all stuff that you're applying your theory into the site experience. Mm. No, definitely, you know, well worth advice. Mm. You obviously mentioned very early on that the scope of being an, a domestic electrician is, is ever broadening. Um, what What's some of the more interesting projects that you've undertaken as a domestic electrician? Um, so I carried out one in Ascot, which I quite enjoyed. It was um, a guy who had a much larger budget than what I'd normally find in domestics. I mean, that's something else you normally find. You're normally working to quite a tight budget domestically as instead of commercial. But um, yeah, this one guy had quite a lot of, he wanted to really go extravagant. So we had all these really expensive sockets talking well over a hundred pound per socket and light switches. And we had a really interesting lighting design, which then carried on outside. And I think I posted a picture online. It was actually in Professional Electrician, but I had to do a small little board with a contactor and some other stuff. I had to check the inrush calculations to make sure, you know, what sort of circuit breaker am I going to put it on, a type B, a type C? Does it have to be a 6 amp or a 10 amp? And that all then had to retrospectively apply back to my designs to make sure all the design worked. I originally was going to put a 16 mil SWA but then when all the additional loading went on and the underwater heating, I then had to add it up to a 25 because the load increased, which then reduced, sorry, increased the volt drop as well. So I had to have a larger cross-sectional area of cable. It's, um, it was good because then it evolved and we ended up doing a lot more outside lighting, the rest of the house. And it's good that way. You find that once you get in on a job and they like you, you can normally, and they don't let you go. Yeah, no, yeah. But... It's one of those things. It's become like a bit of a, a saying in in the public domain, isn't it? That you know, good tradesmen are hard to find. 
Oh, certainly. And it's something that, you know, I'm even finding myself out there. But it's um, the cross-disciplinary knowledge you need in that um, same job, to be honest. We were doing an underfloor heating system, electric, in the screed. So I had to do a heat loss for the whole room. I had to get all the U-value calculations and add them all up, work out the total wattage loss per second, and then work it out and how to replace the, the lost energy over a maximum differential temperature inside and outside. So that was really interesting. And then I had to talk to the mechanical side to work isolating it. He had a lot of microbore pipe work. So we all had to try and work together to make sure it all went in together. He had an aircon system for his wine rack, as we all do. But uh, <laughs> it was just really interesting working with all these different trades, but obviously trying to keep it all within the aesthetics again, because I'd say 99% of the clientele out there care what it looks like over how it functions. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, can, I can certainly agree with that. And some of the other things I know you've dealt with in the past is obviously boiler systems and bits and pieces like that. Yeah, again, that's something that's really expanding at the moment. And um, whenever you speak to a, a heating engineer, they will always say that not many electricians can do the boiler wiring, but it's gone beyond the standard S or Y plan now. You get underpour heating manifolds, you get smart heating controls, such as the nest and the hives. You get, um, even beyond that, like a weather compensation system, which monitors the outside temperature, and then it balances the inside temperature to suit, so there's not necessarily an inside thermostat. You get open therm, for example, which is load compensation, which again reduces the boiler flow rate, depending on how much heat input to the building. And then, yeah, so you get these things called ERP control classes, and the different class controls or stipulates the different level of control but it can go really simple. It can be just an on-off system or it can be a, a full modulating control system almost to the level of uh, like BMS. Mm. No, yeah, I'm, I'm BMS slash smart homes are creeping in as well as solo EV batteries. They're all creeping into the domestic setting as well, aren't they? Yeah, it's certain that and I think it's going to get to the point, I'm certainly feeling the stretch at the moment, that you can't cater for it all in-house. I mean, there's even data systems, security alarms, video distribution, audio distribution, especially in a large project. It's, you know, it used to be typically domestically anything with a wire, you get the electrician in, but these days you might have one guy to put in all the sort of infrastructure but then the, the knowledge to do the rest of it has got so broad that you just can't rely on one team anymore. Mm. Yeah, no, audio visual was is ever increasing market now, isn't it? With uh, home cinemas slash, well, you know, these massive screens and speaker systems that you can have in a in a good lounge or if you're particularly wealthy in a cinema room. Oh yeah, totally. And it's um, again, then it all goes back to networking got all these new control systems even your alexa you know alexa turn on the lights or turn down the heating it's uh it's just mad i went to one guy's house and he had a gym and he would turn the lights on and off and change the color and turn the tv on upstairs and all just through the the alexa control i'm not sure what use that is but you know fair play <laughs> it's like the home of the future isn't it you just walk around completely <laughs> autonomous you just walk in and say turn it on turn it off yeah, I, I've I've got um, I suppose I'm not a technophobe in that sense, but you know I, I won't ever have an Alexa in the house. That's just something for me that privacy will, will cross a line on. But um, 
I don't like the fact that they've got my phone, to be honest. But, uh, you know, if, if you want to connect your home up in such a manner, you know, great. I think the technology's fantastic out there. I'll, I'll in, happily install it for anyone. Yeah, I must admit, I'm a fan of the switch. I like to turn it on, turn it off and dim it. I mean, that's another thing, really. Even the dimming controls now, you get, obviously, triad leading edge, trailing edge. You also get something called PWM, which is pulse width modulation which mm-hmm. is a typical sort of digital dimmer and it's it tends to be silent so i think the likes of your Zano or your um very light they tend to work off that system so on some of them you get a potentiometer which you dial down for the minimum lux level but then on the digital ones you have to do a tapping on off sequence to put it into an engineering mode and and wow. program it all that way i mean we're just talking about a light switch here but you know it can get quite involved I mean, it, it all sounds um, really interesting. Uh, is there anything else probably worth touching on? You know, like obviously kitchens and, and things like that, they're they're ever increasing in the scope and the loads and, and things in them. Yeah, I think I mean, the kitchens are, they can go as basic or as involved as you want. So, um, some, you know, you can look at a thousand pounds for a kitchen rewire or you could do 20, 30 grand for a kitchen rewire and how to switch them. You get ovens, single ovens, double ovens, warming drawers, combi ovens, hobs, induction hobs, electric hobs, halogen hobs, ceramic hobs, dishwashers, wine coolers. It's you know, never ending. Then you get the lighting, LED tape, pendants, which you have to be pretty exact with with the pendants. And then you find the kitchen fitters come in and move the island over a couple of feet. And then you've got to remove all your lights because you look like the idiot. So yeah interfacing is another big part of it isn't it like you just kind of alluded to you know getting on with the the chippies the plumbers the plot the plasterers mainly um you know how how do you find that relationship on with other trades i mean i find i can upset anyone pretty easily (laughs) (laughs) i know i feel that yeah no it's um to be honest i in the role i have i'm lucky enough that i get to oversee a lot of that so um up the islands perhaps because we're a construction company i get to a stage and i'll go there and i'll physically draw on the floor where the island's going to sit so if it's not right it's my fault but recently i've had one where i had two pendants over an island and then the lady had listened to a podcast or something and they said no you should put your pendants in in three or fives so it's all plastered, finished, timbers above to take the load of the um, pendant. So I then had to try and fish across another pendant, which was a challenge. Mm. Achievable, but it why, was a challenge. Why the three or fives? I don't know. Feng Shui. Right, okay. I told you it's all about the aesthetics. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It looked fine with two, in my opinion, but, you know, three also looks okay. Seven, why not? Seven, yeah. But then obviously we got the, the loadings of the ovens. They turn up and um, a lot of them, it'll say something mad, like 13.6 kilowatt. They go, no, I've got to run a 16 mil cable. But then you can use the diversity calculations, which um, just to quote the on-site guide, really, it's the first 10 amps and then 30% of the remaining current plus 5 amps if it has a socket on the cooker switch. That's a top tip. It's just one of many. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I can honestly say there's a, I've never had one that trips Really, if you um, clamp them, I've had ones that are rated at 40 amps and I couldn't get it to pull more than 24. 
they tend to circulate the currents internally anyway, so nothing's ever on for too long. And I was, uh, probably something I've not obviously we've done probably podcasts on it before, and you know RCDs, DC current, and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, how, how are you kind of coping with those? Are you starting to install the likes of, you know, your your Type Bs? rcds are you um putting in afdds surge protection now uh, that's more wholesome and inclusive as part of the regs isn't it yeah well obviously surge protection now you're pretty much installing them anywhere in accordance with the regs but i think they serve a good purpose so your type twos pretty much everywhere your type ones if you've got overhead lines or a lightning protection system any type threes that you're dealing with i have done type threes on boiler systems actually um there's a you can have problems with switching on and off of boiler systems where the PCBs don't like it, obviously full of semiconductors and they can fail. So um, you can get a Type 3 SPD. There's a good few manufacturers out there doing them. I fitted a Dane one personally. I think it was about 75 quid all in. But mm. they come as a DIN rail mountable. You can have auxiliary output controls for buzzers. But all I tend to do when I install them is put on the certificate it's there and please check it every yeah. three months or something just to mm. be aware but yeah i've fit some type threes i've also done one on an aerial you get an inline one where you've got your aerial outside it can come through and that just for any sort of lightning or anything like that as it comes into the booster yeah it's an, it's an interesting part like when you consider domestically you know the the likelihood of say a lightning strike is probably cons- significantly low i would probably say in terms of the size of the structure in relation to probably structures trees other things around are you talking direct or indirect strike i'm talking direct (laughs) obviously if we're talking indirect that that's where you know the surge protection generally on the local comm systems and and other things coming into the property you're going to pay dividends for it aren't you um but yeah no um what, what about afdds AFDDs haven't installed them, um, would install them. I think they're a good idea on certain things. So kitchen circuits, I think they're a good idea because of the loads and the appliances. Obviously, remembering that the AFDDs aren't always necessarily to protect against the fixed wiring, but also against the uh, products you can attach to them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, all your white goods, all your, your ovens, perhaps. It's certainly something that I would consider. Um, do, you, do you find if you see someone with a particularly dodgy looking washing machine, are you recommended? Yeah, I mean, you can recommend until the cows come home, but if they've got a particularly dodgy looking washing machine, <laughs> they're probably not going to want to pay the sort of 70 to 100 pounds for an AFDD, are they? Well, no, you could recommend the laundry, I suppose. No, I mean, it probably costs more for an AFDD than what they've spent on their tumble dryer or washing machine. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's where a lot of the problems were coming. I mean, the other thing with that is, um, just moving on to RCDs, is that I found a lot of manufacturers of boiler now, Worcester Bosch, etc., specify you use a Type A RCD. So that's all well and good. We're fitting Type A's a lot anyway. But then the voicemen they have specified a type b rcd Mm. so the way i'm getting over that now is i tend to run a boiler circuit on its own radial appreciate the load is minimal but if ever i have to 
retrospectively upgrade an RCD to suit the requirements of the manufacturer, I'm then only doing it on one circuit, not for everything else. Mm. Now another top tip. Full of them, mate. Full of them. <laughs> is there is there anything else you'd like to touch on that you, you feel we haven't touched on? That the life of a domestic electrician, obviously, probably the commercial aspect of of getting paid. Is that something um, you struggle with? Um, it varies, you know. It's it's probably you know who's your client. Try and get stuff in paper. Try and get everything on email. Tend to take deposits now. If you have a trouble with the deposit, then it's probably not worth continuing. A lot of people, to be fair, are quite good. I have, I think I've mentioned it before, I once had a guy who I didn't know. He wanted a rewire. Went in there, priced it. I think it was six grand. And I said, well, we need 50% up front just because you're a new person, don't know you, a lot of materials we've got to buy, etc." And he said, um, ping it across and I'll pay the whole lot. So he paid the whole, before I even isolated it or... Mm. put a box in the wall or anything you paid me the whole lot those are the dream ones yeah i mean i've only ever had that once but uh, <laughs> he never yeah. came back <laughs> no it's just those, you know the silly things i always make sure at the end of the job we go around and just be really ocd check all the switches work make sure that the fan come on and goes off make sure that the rcds are all tripping out when they should just uh, you know stuff you should do but you find Maybe some people don't, you know, it makes sure is everything labelled properly? Is it all clipped nicely? Or are all the bends 90 degrees? Just really little silly things. But I find that helps me a lot to, um, I just pick up all the silly things. Are you still, um, one of the things during my very brief time that I got very irritated with was fuse boards under the stairs. Are you um, finding you're moving them away from that location typically when you're replacing, renewing, rewiring? No, I mean, it's a nightmare, isn't it? You're under the stairs. I'm not a small person getting ever larger. So, no, do not like. Everything's a small space. You're either under the fuse board. I've had it before. I had to crawl out because all the blood in my legs didn't want to play anymore. Try and, you know, get some blood back in there, pins and needles. Um, kitchen cupboards are just as bad. You know, try and get in the kitchen cupboard. Try and get a loft. You know, lofts aren't as big as you think when you're out there. I mm. crawl through under floors. You're very much the the contortionist. It's uh, my old boss always used to make me laugh because he said that, you know, you point at any other trade and see how many things they have to cover what we do. We have to get in these spaces. We have to do bricklaying. We have to do carpentry. We have to do plastering. We have to do painting. You know, what do they have to do? They just do what they do. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he, he felt very strongly about the work we had to do. But, <laughs> to, you know, it's fair, you know. You're changing a socket over, a bit of the cork might come off, you have to recork it, touch it up a little bit, but being very clear in your terms what work you cover. EICRs are the worst one. You know, take a light down and half the ceiling comes with it. That happens a lot. So making sure that you're getting your operational and agreed limitations covered. Yeah, no, there certainly is a lot of skills to, you know, being a, a domestic electrician and that's probably a a good note to end it on that domestic electricians are superheroes well wow, no, no i agree, <laughs> yeah, agree. Very, very skilled bunch you've all got more patience than i could ever have so yeah well done <laughs> <laughs> that's all i needed we could end on that and on that yeah. bombshell <laughs> yeah no the, thank you everyone for listening